Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes, sir. I see you have a smartphone, obviously. Yeah. Now, do you have a regular kind of screen at home or do you have everything in the smartphone? No, I have uh, laptops at home. Oh, do you? Or my, my, I have a laptop, Sue has a laptop. And oh. then Sue has a couple of the, the pads. I was just curious Kindles, because, I yeah. mean, looking at those small screens constantly, how does your, how do you handle that uh i don't know i i you know and i'm i'm addicted to the dumb thing and i'm sitting there and i, was, and I start to reach for it it's like no <laughs> just don't do it now earlier this morning mike you know how you look around and you see you go to restaurants or you go and and everybody's on their phones right that's what the that's what the nursing homes are going to look like pretty soon like i was thinking when i'm in a nursing home they're going to go mr kelly wants something no oh, just give him an ipad and i'll sit there <laughs> And when you look, all these people will be sitting there on their iPads, just like we look at the kids nowadays. And that's going to be the thing that keeps us busy. Just like, you know, give the little crying kid his phone so he can play a game. And now it's going to be, ah, right, get Mr. Kelly an iPhone. He won't care. He'll watch hockey highlights. Yeah, I mean, even little kids but, in grocery carts and stuff, they yeah. have. I mean, they're playing games, but still. But my... st- yeah, addicted to this thing. But I, I don't think it, it's hurt my eyes too much. Although I must say, you look really good this morning. ha, ha, ha. That's because of your eyes? It must be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm only kidding. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, thanks. I was just curious because, you know, I don't do too much with the phones. So Really? No. Yeah. See, I spend, I mean, part of it's my job because right. you got to stay on, up to date with everything. Right. But uh, it's, it's addictive because, you know, you get that constant news feed. And it's like the information's constantly coming in, and it's it's like, ah, oh, what's what's the latest? Who's saying what? You know, <laughs> I don't follow in like the the gossip people. It's mainly news and sports, right? But yeah, it can be it can be addictive, right? For sure. <laughs> cool, great. Well, thanks, sure. folks. It is Saturday morning, and let's have a roundtable discussion. What's impacting your landscape? How about uh, want to do something different? Uh, maybe concerned about. Uh, a neighbor just recently moved in the house right next to you, and ooh, 
you don't really care for their German shepherds or no, they have German shepherds. You like their German shepherds, just like Joe Biden has a couple German shepherds. What is it? Uh, Major and Champ, I think, are his dog's name. But anyway, a taste of the tropics, your house plants. How are they doing? Uh, you want to improve your soil? Should you be doing any pruning this time of year? And if there's bagworms hanging on your junipers, should you be pulling them off or what should you be doing about that? Well, use the information I'll share with you and hopefully it'll help orchestrate your options and um, make the final judgment, of course, is going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Alex. He's back after a couple of weeks with new baby, and he looks pretty good. So he's getting, he says he's not getting much sleep, but he doesn't look really all that tired. So anyway, he's the one who will answer the phone, and all he needs is your first name and where you're calling from. And I'm Mike Miller, by the way, Garden Hotline host since 1994. And I do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage, my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I always start off in the morning when I wake up on Saturday and think, let's see, where should I go? And I thought, hmm... Why don't I head down Bates, and I'll go this direction, I'll go that direction. Actually, I ended up in a community garden. And this community garden has kind of transitioned a little bit. And actually, they're calling it VAL, V-A-L, Community Garden now. And I'm assuming that means Virginia, Alabama, and Liberty. That's this, basically the streets it's on. And I stepped out of my car and, whoop, almost fell. Stepped on some sweet gum balls. <laughs> Uh, street tree uh, with sweet gums. Well, it says uh, there's a Dutchtown Proud sign as well. And uh, as the raised perimeter is a block, basically raised bed area filled with black raspberries. And uh, there's individual plots inside there and uh, kind of sitting there waiting for the warmer weather to come. The address on the gated arbor says 4730, and I'm assuming that means 4730 Alabama, or is it Liberty? Well, you're going to have to go find that out yourself. And there's a blessing box there for canned goods. So if people have extra canned goods and somebody needs something to eat or whatever, they can go there. Val Food Pantry Garden this has replaced a dog playground. So originally, way back when, it was really developed as a community garden and a dog playground. But the dog playground is now gone. Now it's, as I said before, the Val <laughs> Food Pantry Garden. And uh, there's a great wrought iron fence that encloses the whole place. A huge compost bin. And it says, put this in your garden, please. Within the garden space, there's two sheds. There's wheelbarrows. There's no hoses. I think they were all, I don't even think there was any round wound up. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, picnic tables and benches offer a nice respite for later on in the season. Uh, the surrounding deciduous trees really create a striking contrast as the sky was beginning to brighten. And to be honest with you, I think this is the coldest morning so far this year. And as I'm writing, you know, of course, I have to, I can't write with glove on my right hand. I'm right-handed. But so I had to have my right hand with no glove on it. 
Boy, my hands got cold. It was freezing out there. And uh, my thermometer in our backyard, as I took a look at when I was leaving, it was like colder than the official temperature. It was like 10. I thought, oh, my, it's going to be a nice, good gardening stroll. And it was nice and cold. But if it's going to get up in the upper 30s or lower 40s, thank goodness for that. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have phone lines open, so if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, please give us a call. I'm going to go back and talk a little bit more about soil testing. So if you're going to get a soil test done, which you should, why should you get a soil test done? Well, soil conditions have a huge effect on your plant health. The pH and nutrient levels can change over time, so even though you've had a soil test maybe, or everything has looked healthy, as time goes on, there can be some changes, especially according to the fertilizer you use or that you're not using. You may be over-fertilizing. So in other words, as a result of that, certain nutrients may be at extreme levels, and that can cause problems as well. And the testing will also tell you which nutrients may be lacking or missing entirely. And if you're going to have your soil tested in a lawn area, the sample should be about three to four inches deep. So in other words, you've got to go down that deep to get a good soil sample. If it's other bed spaces like uh, vegetable gardens or your perennial bed or whatever it happens to be, whatever it happens to be, you're going to go down about six inches. So lawn, three inches, three to four inches, other bed spaces, six inches. And don't just put a big clod in there. What you want to do is you want to break it up and they should be air dried. So and mixed, you know, entirely. So don't just go down and take, you know, from one space. And how much do you need to actually take? Well, about a pint, which is two cups. And just take some of it from a couple different locations and then mix it together. And you can just put it in a regular kind of sandwich bag and then you can drop it off at uh, if in the St. Louis County area in Kirkwood on East Monroe. That's University of Missouri Extension Service. And in the city, it has two drop-off locations, uh, Brightside St. Louis, which is on Shenandoah, and then Gateway Greening, which is on Washington Avenue. Now, I don't know. I'm assuming the University of Missouri Extension has uh, places that you can drop it off in St. Charles, Jefferson, and other counties. I'm not positive about that, but uh, I think that's probably the case. And how much does this cost? Well, it's going to cost you about $25, so it's not bad at all. So it's you can really see a huge change if you get the soil test done. It's going to take about two weeks after you drop off the soil test, depending upon the season, of course. So if they're overwhelmed by the amount of questions or <laughs> amount of questions, the amount of samples they're getting, then it might take a little bit longer. But uh, if you have any questions related to uh, a soil test, you can call 314-400-2115, and that's the University of Missouri Extension Service. So also this time of year, you're going to be a little bit surprised that you know your bulbs are going to start coming up. I'm starting to see some crocus uh, 
they're probably maybe oh a half inch above the soil surface. And uh, Brian, I was talking to him before we went on air, and he's growing garlic, and his garlic's up uh, probably an inch or so. So he's gonna, you know, he's got a little garlic farm as well as the other things that they enjoy growing there. And take you know, keep an eye out for those weeds because. The chickweed has just absolutely exploded. And you think, well, it's really cold, but no, no. These cool season weeds really do very, very well. And the cold and the cool. They germinated last August, and they've been growing and growing and growing. Now, as the weather warms up a little bit, the days get a little bit longer. They're definitely going to be doing some flowering. The flowering is going to be pollinated by who knows what, when, People walking on it, your dog walking on it, and anything else is going to pollinate these things. And then it's going to drop the seeds, and the seeds will just drop and stay there until next August, and then they'll start germinating. So the weeds that you're going to be seeing in your potentially in your landscape right now are henbit and dead nettle. They've got square stems, and the henbit actually gets kind of about three to four inches high, so it's pretty big. Chickweed is very flat, kind of has an odd-shaped leaf, kind of looks like a, a leaf, a, let's say a section of clover leaf, that kind of shape. There's the annual bluegrass. There's a prickly lettuce. There's the Persian speedwell, and that's really flat, and it has really small blue flowers. There's some clover, and there's a shepherd's purse as well. So those are the weeds, and you get, I mean, if the weather's going to warm up and everything else, that's nice because you can go out. You can certainly herbicide effectiveness. Uh, you just got to be kind of careful as far as you might think it's going to take care of it, but it may not. But certainly like a broadleaf weed killer should take care of all those weeds that I was just talking about, except the annual bluegrass because that's a grass and that needs a grass killer to kill it. Or, of course, if you want to use Roundup, that pretty much kills anything. But uh, so think about that. Let's first caller of the day is Nancy. Nancy, how are you today? Hi, Mike. I have a question. Is it okay if spring bulbs are starting to bloom now? They're starting to bloom? Not bloom, sorry. They're starting to break the soil. Right. No, that's fine. I mean, it's triggered by soil temperature, and they're not going to do it until the soil temperature is right. Now, if we, you know, obviously we're going to probably have a couple more cold snaps and everything else. It may damage the tip of the foliage, but the flower bud is not, you know, emerging at all yet. Even on the earliest blooming type things like the snowdrops, they're really, really early. They're going to be sometime in February. And so, yeah, you should be fine. Okay. The other question is, is this the wrong time of year to transplant crepe myrtles? Uh, I would probably wait until it warms up a little bit. But okay. uh, no, spring's fine. Just okay. make, make sure you do it before any kind of emergence of any leaves on the stem. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And uh, when you're pruning or when you're transplanting anything, people always think you got to prune before you transplant. No, that's not necessarily the case. So... All you need to do is really get the size of the root ball that's adequate. And if the ground is dry, which it's probably not dry right now, but if it happens to be dry and it wouldn't hurt anyway to take a, you know, a couple buckets of water out the night before you're going to dig up anything that you're planning on transplanting and pour it around the root system. Because what that does 
is it hydrates the root system, but also it hydrates the soil, and that will keep the soil you know, more or less in contact with each other so it doesn't just sort of like fall away from the root system because you go, well, what difference does that make because you're transplanting it anyway? Well, sometimes when the soil falls away from the root system, it tears off the feeder roots, and the feeder roots are those really small, hairy roots that you don't really even notice. They're at the, basically the end or along the roots of the main roots, and that's where the nutrients and moisture comes in. So that's you know very, very important as well. So the feeder roots, they're going to be somewhat lost just by simply transplanting, but consequently, you know, you got to make sure that if you're going to transplant something, that the root ball is wet. Also have the area that you're transplanting it to, have the hole dug there, and uh, you're going to dig it three times the diameter of the root ball that you're going to be digging up, and only about 80% as deep because you want the top of the the root ball, in other words, the crown, where the stem and the roots and stems and roots meet, slightly above the surrounding ground. Let's head over to Greg's yard now. Hi, Greg. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have, I have some big blue stem in uh, a couple acre plot, and it's grown so thick over the past couple years that really nothing can move around in it. I have burned it in the past. Is there anything I can do to kind of thin that out? <laughs> Well, it's pretty aggressive, so as you found out. And there's really not too much you can do other than, like, uh, you know, going through there and, you know, there's really not too much, to be honest. So you can't mow it. You can't do anything other than just digging up clumps of it and tossing those away or whatever, moving them to a new location. But there's nothing other than that that can be done. I don't even think maybe even dumping, like trying to create a pathway or create certain areas of it with like rock. I think it's just going to grow up through the rock. So you're kind of stuck with what you have. If I burn it down, would it just make more sense? to? Is there something else that you would recommend to put in its place if I just <laughs> try to burn it all out? Wow. I mean, with herbicide? Um, <laughs> Originally, why did you, you know, choose that particular grass to go into this spot? There, there wasn't much of a, a, a thought process behind it, other than just not wanting to mow the area. So, if you put, is it it's level and everything? Well, if you want some of the bigger grasses, I mean, all the miscanthus, the maiden grasses, they're clump growers. So, I mean. They're not invasive. They don't have that kind of circumstance. I don't know if you want something that big, but a lot of the smaller grasses are going to be invasive just like what you're experiencing. So it's going to be, is this a sunny location or is it, I'm assuming, because if the blue stem's doing well there, then it's probably full sun. Yeah, it's, 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 it's in about a, a two-acre field. So, yes, it is. It's, it's, it gets a lot of sun throughout the day. <laughs> I would say if you just want to have something there that stays low, that's not going to be problematic, I would think about, you know, using Dutch white clover. Okay. And I may do that. I also planted something for animals and, you know, turkeys and quail and right. stuff like that to forage in there. And it's just, like I said, it's so thick that really nothing can move around in it. And then it, this time of year it lays down and, you know, really, really <laughs> is dense. Right. But, I mean, the clover, you know, only gets about four to six inches, and it's attractive to the bees and all that other stuff. And, you know, 
it's you know it could be you know bringing rabbits and other things as well. So you might think about that. Sure. And you, I mean, yeah, there's a, co- a couple other kinds of clover too, like Al's clover, which gets bigger and has a purplish flower. So I would go in that direction. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go uh, into Greg's yard. Greg, how are you today? Oh, sorry, Doug. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, Mike, you, I know you get this question from time to time. When is the best time to aerate your garden? Uh, your garden? Any time before you start, obviously, uh, is this a perennial garden or is this a vegetable garden, an annual garden, or what kind of garden space is it? I was getting confused. Mrs. spoke my lawn, actually. Oh, okay. So the core aeration uh, can happen, and you have a cool season lawn, I'm assuming, or a warm season lawn? So in other words, zoysia or fescues and bluegrasses? I think there's both, actually. There's kind of a mix in there. There are patches, which I think are zoysia. So uh, it's a little bit too early now because what could happen is if you core aerate now, and we get temperatures like, you know, what we had this morning, what happens is that the core aeration will pull those plugs out of the ground, and that exposes some crowns of the, of the lawn, and then consequently that could do some damage to that. So probably I'd be looking at sometime after Valentine's Day and before mid-March. So some do it if it's, uh, you know, at that time and do the core aeration and then follow it up with uh, – you know, a quarter to a half inch of compost is the ideal thing to do. Perfect. Thanks. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, please give us a call. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Now's a good time if you've got, uh, you know, any kind of trees and it, obviously with the branches that you can get to, but like crab apples or some of the ornamental trees or things like that, or if you still have any of the flowering pear trees, any of those upright shoots along the branches that are just shooting straight up, this is a good time to get those, you know, taken care of, taking those off. And anytime you're going to be doing any kind of pruning on any kind of woody plant material, you don't want to leave a stub. A stub is, can be you know, problematic from the standpoint of diseases, insects, attraction, and all that other stuff as well. So you want to make sure when you make the cut, if it's a larger branch, then you're going to have to cut it back in sections. But the final cut, you're only going to leave about a quarter-inch stub. So keep that in mind. Uh, as far as starting seeds indoors in your house or whatever, uh, it's a little bit early to be doing that because it's going to be difficult to keep them growing robustly no matter, even if you have grow lights, bottom heat, and everything else, before you can move them outside. I'm talking about vegetables and things like that. So just keep that in mind as well. Oh, we got another Greg. Greg from an Illinois. Hi, Greg. How are you? Hey, I have a question for you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a question for you about trees and vines. Okay. okay we've got a lot of, a lot of oak trees and, and different things on our property, and we have some fairly substantial vines going up into those trees. So they're, not the, they're not the stuff from down south or anything like that, but is it okay to leave them alone, or what should we do? 
basically, is this a vine that's climbing the trunk, or is this a vine that has, uh, let's say, its stem starts away from the trunk, and it's just kind of twisted itself up and got itself up into the tree that way. So, in other words, does it adhere to the trunk or not? Yeah, no, they're they're adhering to the trunk. They're starting basically at the base of the tree and going up. Yeah, that's probably not. Until they go out over the branches or something, it's not problematic at all. So you don't have to worry about it. And personally, I, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm assuming it's an evergreen type thing. It's either probably euonymus or it's a type of ivy. And then in the wintertime, at least it gives you some greenery to look at. But once they go out over the lateral branches and start covering the ends of the branches, that's when it becomes trouble. And the only thing you'd really have to do if that starts happening is, you know, climb up a ladder, you know, and just cut all the stems you know, that are that are growing onto the trunk, and then that will stop all the growth higher up if you need to do that. But Okay, great. Hey, thank you so very much. Sure, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. And now let's go head over to Margie's yard. Hi, Margie. Hello? Hi. Um, I have a question about my fig uh, tree bush. Not sure what to call it. Um, every year it dies completely back to the ground, and then it comes up from the bottom. Um, with that, like, is there a way to get it to start faster? Like, it doesn't usually even come up out of the ground until, like, the beginning of May. Um, can I cover it with black plastic, or would that be bad? That would probably be, could be, you know, bad. So, in other words, you're talking about a hardy fig tree that grows, yeah. you know, will have figs on it. Mm-hmm. Do, do you ever get figs? I get, Yeah. We do get quite a few, but I'd like to get more. So I thought if it started sooner, it might. Yeah, I don't think you're going to, you're not going to make any more production out of them by doing anything. I think the fact that you have and it's coming back robust and it's giving you some fruit, that's great. But uh, there's really nothing you can do. And is it supposed to die back down to the ground every year? Well, they're really not. I mean, they're kind of marginally hardy for here. So, Uh yes, that's what basically happens. So there's a couple okay. in my neighborhood that I keep, you know, I want as I'm walking around, I check those out and they do the same thing as what you're experiencing. And then there's a lot of them in the, the Hill neighborhood, of course. Okay. My other question is it has like branches, I guess, coming up out of the ground. And I usually don't trim those back until the spring. Would it be better to cut them down in the fall after the foliage dies or leave them all winter? I would probably just leave them alone. <laughs> okay. And then just do as historically you've had production, you're happy with the way things have gone. So that's probably what I would do. Just leave things alone. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. A lot of mm-hmm. times we I... try to do things and uh, cause more problems than we do good. And uh, if you haven't, and maybe you have, uh, feeding the birds. This is a great time of year to start feeding the birds if you haven't yet or to continue feeding the birds because birds are great for controlling several of the insect problems that you, you know, that our landscapes have. So the bird seed, just realize where the bird's seed is going to drop below. You're not going to really have much to grow. So just, you know, plan that that's going to be a case where uh, no lawn there and you don't necessarily want it over a patio space, but just maybe just put an edger around that spot and put some gravel there and uh, or some rock and let the birds, you know, Go down in there and 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 uh, you know help themselves to whatever seed has been raked out, and uh, other things that you need to be thinking about. This time of year, 
What you can do, it's a little bit early, but in the next couple of weeks, if you have cannas, caladiums, all those elephant ears, those summer-type bulbs, you can get those in a pot and get them going. Put them in front, in front of a nice sunny window, and it'll take a couple of weeks before you start to see any growth. But that way you can have a good head start on what's going to happen, you know, later on in the season. And start, you know, it's a little bit early, but uh, start watching also if you have any kind of pines, like mugle pines or things like that, for the pine sawflies. And uh, they are just brutal. They can do a real damage to the new candles. And so keep an eye on those type things. Other things that you need to be thinking about is... Uh, I don't do, you know, I don't do this and I don't believe in it, but uh, some people want to change the potting mix out of their pots or the window boxes every year, and I don't see any reason that you should be doing that. But what I do is I just basically dump all mine into rubber, you know, rubber-made tubs and I mix it all together. And unless I've had some major diseases in one pot or one window box, I throw that away. But I just add some new stuff to it every year. So that's one of the other things that you could be doing and thinking about. And heading out on a day like this, it was brutally cold early. But doing stuff like that in your garage is, I mean, the weather is fine for doing that right now. And uh, as I said before, just watch out. Remember where you've planted your uh, spring flowering bulbs like your daffodils and things like that. Some people will mix them into a lawn area. You're not going to do major damage to them if you step on them, but it can do a little bit of damage to the foliage. It won't impact the the uh, flowering at all. And uh, garden centers are going to start having pansies. So if you want to have some good color that is going to probably last, they probably don't have them yet, but probably uh, maybe the 1st of February they'll start having them. And then consequently you can have, you know, probably two-plus months of really good flowering color out of the pansies before the heat will start heading them downhill. So once it gets, starts getting hot, then they're going to start, you know, let's say whimpering a little bit. But uh, And actually, I was walking by a house the other day, and their pansies have survived so far all winter long. The flowers are a little bit smaller than they normally would be, but uh, I'll be, you know, that they've really done a good job. And the secret with that is we've had some, I think I saw, or Tracy saw the other day, that we've only had like less than an inch of rain over the last several weeks. And that's kind of less than what we normally need, and especially for plant material and pots. So anything, you should be taking water out from in a bucket from your house if you've turned off your faucets and water, you know, Obviously, pansies or something along that line, but any kind of evergreens, anything that you have in a pot that you want to survive. So just keep doing that. So we've got uh, phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have mums that are perennial mums, new growth is going to start in a couple weeks. And as soon as it starts growing and gets about two inches long, then you're going to pinch back about an inch of that. So it's going to be a whole series so you can get it nice and thick and full. So we'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Mick's yard. Hi, Mick. How are you? Mick, I'm doing good. All right. Uh, I got a question. Is it too late to plant tulips and daffodils? Oh, probably so. Do you have the bulbs? Yes, I do. Uh, maybe what I would probably do as opposed to putting them in the ground is if you have some uh, like black plastic nursery pots or pots or anything, put them in a pot, right. in a you know, in a potting mix, and that way that's going to warm up a little bit quicker than the ground will, and you might yeah. have a chance of them doing a little bit more than just uh, sending up foliage. But my thought is you're not going to get probably any kind of flowers off of them at all. Okay, uh, can I keep them till next year? Uh, you can keep them. But what you got to do is just cut, you know keep you know every so often just go out and a couple of them if they're in bags or whatever and just feel them if they feel soft then they're you know they're headed downhill so then okay. you're not going to get anything out of them all but I would okay. just one go, more I'd pot them up okay one more quick question sure when can I put uh, crabgrass preventer and fertilizer in zoysia basically what you want to do is best time to do that is because. If you you know you have that problem in your zoysia? Yeah. Okay. So when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, that's the best time to put that down. Okay. Okay. So it's not going to hurt the zoysia then? No, no, no. Not at all. So okay. basically what it does is kill things that's germinating from seed. And the zoysia is okay. coming back from the root system. Okay. Sounds good then. Thanks, Mike. Sure. And now let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Yes. Um, I have a question. I have bush honeysuckle or the invasive honeysuckle in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, will, is it a, can I kill it this time of year, or will the, uh, will the herbicide be ineffective? Uh, pretty much ineffective. What you can do, though, you could give it a try. And what you want to do is, if you've got some trunks coming up out of the ground or big stems or any kind of stem, is I would probably wait just a little bit, uh, probably to at least until mid-February or so, uh, because there's going to be more translocation of nutrients and moisture and everything else by all plant materials. And then cut it off at about a couple feet or a foot or so, and then paint the roundup or paint a woody plant killer you know, herbicide right on that open wound right after you cut it. Okay, very good. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, because if you if you try to wait until it's uh, and spray the foliage, that's going to be a really involved process. But if you've got the, the honeysuckle, you're better to go after it and early on and paint it right onto a cut, like I said, a cut that you've just made. So other, you know, things that you need to be thinking about this time of year, too, you want to get out, you want to do something, make sure your mower blades are sharpened. And mower blades sharpen, what do you say? What difference does that make? Well, what it does is if they're not, if they're not sharp, they can actually cause the end of the, the grass blades to fray. And that's a good chance for insects, diseases, or health problems just in general. So you also make sure that your mower height is correct. So the first cutting on your zoysia is not going to be for several, you know, until probably, uh, oh, let's say mid to late April. That might be maybe even early May. And you want to make sure that the mower on your zoysia that you're cutting 
is about three inches high. For your fescues and bluegrasses, this time of year, your first cuttings is going to be about three and a half to four inches. Also going out, and there's no problem doing this, is just check and see how much thatch you have in your lawn. And what is thatch? Well, thatch is not necessarily anything you know problematic, especially if you bag your mower clippings. That's great, but that doesn't get rid of thatch. Thatch is just old dead blades. So just take a regular leaf rake and just rake, you know, let's say a a 10-foot square area and see how much thatch that you have. If you have a pretty good-sized pile, then you should probably have a professional service come in if you need to and have it dethatched or do it yourself with just your leaf rake and just make sure that you're ready for probably being a little bit overwhelmed because the thatch is going to be a little bit moist and then consequently, it's going to be a little bit heavy. So watch out about what kind of bag that you put it in. Uh, as I said before, the equipment is you know very, very important to make sure that it's sharpened. And realize the most expensive part of your landscape is your lawn. So you want to minimize any kind of problems. So And that's weather. Our weather is so goofy and everything else. The weed problems, the insect problems, you know, the grubs and all that other factors – all those play a, you know, play a role in having a nice lawn. Picture-perfect lawn is something that's kind of really, really difficult here. But uh, so just realize that's the most ex- expensive thing. Tina, how are you today? Hello, Tina? Thank you. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I have some irises that I want to, like, you know, thin out. When is, when is the best time to do that? Uh, as soon as you start to see the new growth begin. So, okay, in other so words, I could do it in the spring. Yeah, you're better off to do it in the spring. That's when the garden centers are going to have, you know, the tubers for sale. So just, you know, you know, dig up a, a section of it and then chop off the, you know, chop the root system into pieces as whatever section you want. Just make sure that as each section that you have is going to have some foliage coming up off of it. That's why I say just wait until the uh, you know the foliage is emerging because you're not going to be able to guess you know where the you know if one section of the tuber is going to be you know viable and it's going to be functional. So that's why I'm saying wait for a little bit. But other and than should that, should I take from the should I take from the inside of it or the outside of the big patch of them I have? Uh, the inside is probably where the oldest stuff is. So that might be dysfunctional. Do you have you know any kind of sections where that has stopped flowering? Yes. So the areas that haven't flowered are probably not going to flower again. But you could try in those areas to divide those and see if you can re- regenerate the flowering. But uh, usually they're going to flower for any place between 8 to 10 years and then kind of just be exhausted as far as the flowering go. They will continue to to do the foliage, but it could you know will stop flowering at that point. Now there's people that have said they've divided, they've done this, or even after a period of time, they've been, actually had flowering coming coming again. But uh, that's kind of a rarity. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, and so just the spot that you're gonna you know, move them to, make sure it's in full sun because that's what they like the best, and make sure that it's not a really wet area. Because the regular iris, you know, the flags, they need to have pretty much a kind of an organic soil. 
but a dry soil. So if it's wet, you're going to create some, you know, some, let's say, rot problems with it. So thanks, Tina. And, folks, we're about ready to go for uh, a break to the news. So if you have any questions or thoughts, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can give us a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Alex will be answering the phone. He'll need your first name and where you're calling from. And, Mr. Kelly, when the weather gets nasty, how about uh, you've got to come back to work, and you live you don't live really close by. I live 22 miles due south of the Arch. So that's not really all that far, but still. Yeah. I mean, can, are those roads uh, salted? They do a great job. Uh, yeah, our road actually goes from the bottoms to the top of the bluff, and they always put cinders on it. Ah. And in my 20, almost, well, in March, it'll be 24 years I've Whoa. been there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, is that right? No, 23 years oh. in March. I've, <clears throat> knock on wood, never really had a problem. They put the cinders down. They, they you know, shovel it or plow it. Right. Put the cinders down, and we get right up the hill. Perfect. So it's so far, it's worked out okay. It's kind of funny, too, because the road district ends at, like, our driveway. So it, they'll plow right to our driveway, back into the neighbor's driveway, and pull away. Now, up the street, not so good, but from my house on, it's usually in good shape. So, no, I salute the Monroe County road guys that, that work in our neighborhood because they do a really good job. Perfect. Yeah. Great. So do you get around okay? You're in the city. You never yes, know, right? right. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, our, we're kind of in a residential street, so mm-hmm. we've got a couple blocks sometimes where there's nothing has been done yeah. to get to some place where the brine's you know, been put down. So. Right. So hopefully now, Matt Benz this morning, our weather guy, said that we should be in good enough shape tomorrow. Like I said in the forecast, there might right. be a little ice to the north, but most of us in St. Louis and to the south should be okay. But, in you know, that 33, you're right on the edge. Bridges and ramps could be, could be tough. Absolutely. Yeah. So be safe. Yes, you too. Yes, folks, and by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection for ups and downs and all arounds of annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, water gardens, vines, or whatever. And I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly just an option. And it's for you to consider. And as, as I said before, Alex is here. He's producing. He's running the big board as well. I spend my week and weekends sometimes uh, doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is to schedule a walk and talk. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial this week goes out to the St. Louis Forestry Department. St. Louis Forestry Department took down a maple tree on Wanda Avenue, which is about a half a block from where we live. And the maple tree had been in sort of like decline for several years. 
probably it's my, uh, let's see, the caliper could have been 36 to 40 inches. It was a street tree. It was crazy. It lifts the sidewalk and did all that other stuff. But they worked for two full days to take this tree down. And, I mean, they wanted to make sure that it didn't, nothing dropped or anything else causing problems. And the forestry department of the city of St. Louis did a perfect job. Now you can drive by there. The stump hasn't been ground out yet. But there's very little debris and no damage like some big you know, limb falling or anything like that. I mean, they did a perfect job. So a tip of the trial goes out to the St. Louis Forestry Department for the great job they did on removing a tree that could have potentially caused some problems in the near future because it was having some major damage or just, let's say, decline to some of the branches higher up in the tree. So it needed to come down, and they did take it down. So thanks to the St. Louis Forestry Department for the great work they did with their tree. Let's get a call or two in before we take a break. Let's go to Linda. Hi, Linda. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Hi. I was very surprised at you recommending uh, bush honeysuckle and heavenly bamboo, which is also known uh, as Nandina domesticata. Right. Uh, the Department of Conservation, uh, in their December issue of The Conservationist, they recommended not growing heavenly bamboo because it is just as difficult to remove uh, from our native landscape uh, as the bush honeysuckle. Uh, the reasons uh, why it is bad, uh, it the uh, bush... The heavenly bamboo has a large, high amount of uh, cyanide. That is toxic to birds, pets, and other animals that might eat these berries. Really? Yes. There are native uh, alternates, alternates that are available, such as American Beautyberry, Virginia Sweet Spire, Carolina Allspice, New Jersey tea, wahoo, black chokeberry, and fragrant shumac, and nine bark. Well, great. Well, thanks. For... Uh, Heavenly bamboo keeps its leaves all year. Right, it does. And so that shades out the Missouri natives, the native plants that would be uh, emerging in early spring. And so that would make it very difficult for them and if you leave even a small uh, piece of root, it would come back just like uh, regular bamboo. Now, uh, heavenly bamboo is a totally different plant than other bamboos. Right, than the bambusa. Right. But they are, the point is that it's very difficult to eradicate. And there are Missouri natives. And so look in the, the conservationist. Uh, because uh, it gives a whole list of natives that are good for our area. Thank you, Mike. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for the insight. Greatly One appreciate more thing. it. Uh, we had a gigantic flock of robins at our heated bird bath this morning. Uh, <laughs> they just kept coming and coming, and they were just filling the entire bath. <laughs> so supply fresh water at this time of year when... Uh, when water is frozen. Right. Thanks, Mike. Great. Well, thank you, and thanks for the insight on the heavenly bamboo. So now let's head over to Norman's. Hi, Norman. Hello. Hi. Um, I got a good deal on some uh, 
elephant ears and gladiola bulbs. And uh, I got about 10 elephant ears. And once I start planting them, I'm going to put them in pots. Start them now or later on. Well, you can start them now. I mean, if you've got a sunny window, you can put them in. Or you can just wait if you're going to put them in pots outside. If you know, It all depends. How big are actually the bulbs, the, uh, the elephant well, ears? Well, they're, they're bigger in baseball and smaller than softball. Yeah, so they're pretty small. But still... Um, starting, you can start them now, or you can wait if they're just gonna. You want to, you know, put them directly in the pot that they're gonna stay in outside. I'm assuming, so consequently, you're gonna probably have to wait until mid, uh, let's say, late April, early May before you put them in the pots. Because uh, oh, really? Yeah, it's if you put, you can put them in earlier if you want. Because I mean, you frost and everything else is gonna be well past that. The earliest I'd put them in, it would probably be early April. And that's just because what could happen is the new growth could be triggered, and if we have just even a slight cold snap, it could do some damage. But that would only do damage to one leaf, so it's nothing major to worry about. Well, I could uh, hurry up and put them in the garage for that night or something, I guess. Absolutely. And then gladiola bulbs, when do I start planting those? Uh, Probably, again, about the same time. If you put them in too early... They're just going to, you know, not do anything. And if we have a really wet springtime, uh, they could get some rot to them. The elephant ears won't rot, but the gladiolas can. Okay. And, uh, and uh, I guess that's it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Mike. Well, sure. My pleasure. Yeah, the gladiolas okay. just realized that, uh, you know, plant a certain amount and then, you know, then... St- I don't know how many you have. Let's say you have 20. Plant 10 of them and then wait for a couple of weeks and then plant 10 more because once they finish flowering, then that's it. But if you kind of do them, you know, install them in sequence, then consequently you can have a whole series of flowers from different bulbs. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I want to thanks, thank Linda for calling in and reminding me about the honeysuckle, which I knew was invasive. Now, the, the Nandina domestica, the heavenly bamboo, I didn't realize that that was such a problem as far as for the birds. So, uh, you know, I don't know everything. Surprisingly, I can't follow. Oh, oh. Anyway. Thanks to Linda for calling in and correcting me on things that I was wrong about. Let's head now over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. Um, I have a question, and it's about another invasive um, weed and, and irises. Uh, we moved some plants from my parents' house to our house, mm-hmm. and evidently we picked up some privet along the way. Are you familiar with that? Privet's a shrub, yes. Okay, well, this grows like on the ground, and it's uh, it has like vines on. It's a vine, hmm. and it's invasive, and it's like really hard to kill, and it's like an ivy type of thing. It's but the leaves on it are like the size of a of a man's like thumbnail, and I I, I was told it was called privet, but it grows on. So it's a it's a it's a vine that's highly invasive, and it grows like on top of the dirt. Hmm. I don't know. You know, privet, the only privet I know is the one that historically was used as hedges, you know, in the city way back when. It's still uh, sold 
you know, in nurseries, but usually they're selling one that has kind of a, not a dark green foliage color, but a yellowish or things mm-hmm. like that. So what this particular okay. plant is, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's like an invasive vine type of thing. that, And you'll see it growing up over old trees and stuff that kills trees. That's another example of it. So it's not euonymus? Is it? I Maybe that's not. what it is. Well, yeah, it grows up like our neighbors had it growing up there, um, old um, shrub tree. Um, I forget what it is. Blue shrub. Blue spruce tree, but it, it's it's so invasive it'll it'll choke a tree out, and I think that's actually how we got it. Yeah. But um, I can I, I can I take a picture and like send it to you? Sure. Yeah. Just email it to me. Okay. So my next question is, uh, I have irises. I think that I didn't divide them soon enough. Can I still divide them? They're old. They're from my parents. Or, uh, but this year I didn't really get any flowers, and I, I think they're bunched together too much. Well, that could be a problem, and it could just be age as far as flowering goes, too. So you could go ahead and divide them, get that done as soon as you can. When you do divide them, you know, the sections, the end of the the tuber or the root is going to be a little bit moist. So don't put it directly back into the ground. Let that dry for, you know, a week or two before you replant them. So just wait until the end that was broken or cut out, you know, cut from a separate section of the tuber. When you touch it, it's not sticky or not wet-looking. Okay, so I can dig them up today and let them dry out and put them back in, like, next week if it's nice. Right. Okay, thank you. Sure. I'll send you an email on this thing. All right, great. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. And now let's go from Mary's yard over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Good morning, Mike. Hi. A uh, couple questions. Uh, I have lime hydrangea. How far back can you cut those? Mine's probably maybe 10 years old. You know, the wood's kind of heavy in it, but how far down can I cut those? Uh, Are you cutting them for what reason? Because they're all blooms or the big uh, blooms are still on the end of the uh, cane. Right. Uh, You know, they're about five, six feet tall now. (coughs) You can can just cut off the spent flowers and just leave the shrub as it is because they're probably not going to get much bigger than what they are right now. No, well, I don't want it much bigger. I want to uh, try to control it more. Right. It's in a bush garden, and uh, the heavy wood in the, will it hurt to cut it back? Don't cut them back too severely. Cut about a foot or, yeah, cut about a foot or, you know, maybe 15 inches off. That would be the maximum I would do. And can do it now if I want? Uh, Yeah, I would say go ahead and do it now. Or you can just wait until the weather gets a little bit nicer. No, I was working outside yes. uh, yesterday, even though it was cold. Right. Uh, the the 18-inch pots that I have planted with bulbs, uh, daffodils, and tulips, uh, how much water, two or three cans of water uh, for the winter, will that do it, or should I water more? Uh, probably once a month, just take, you know, take some water out. 18 inches is not very big, so the soil is, you know, if they're sitting out where it's windy and everything else, they could dry out a little bit more. But just, do you have mulch on top of the soil, potty mix, whatever? Uh, not much. Yeah. Okay. No. So I just put the bulbs in and put uh, wire mesh over them because the squirrels like to dig them back up, uh, <laughs> even though they're in pots. Uh, also, I want to. I need to replant um, aloe 
plant. <laughs> but I'll uh, mention it quick. I'll forget. Aloe plant. How do you, it's gotten too big and uh, it's all over once. It's damaged a little. How do you repot those? So you're talking about aloe vera? Yeah. The tropical, like, you know, the one people use for burns and things like that. Cool. Basically, Correct. just you know, pull it out of the pot. You know, tip the pot on the side. Just pull the whole thing out. Shake some of the potting mix off, and then repot it in a pot that's a little bit bigger than the current one. And use a, a cactus mix potting mix. Okay, and even though uh, the if you want to call it leaves seem a little limp, like you know, it's, it's not doing so well. Uh, just leave it all, leave all that on, and just repot the whole thing. Yeah, huh? leave it all and stop watering. Okay, okay. So you've okay, watered okay. it too much and you've caused some problems. So any of it that looks limp is just going to dry up and fall off anyway. So you can cut that uh, off if you want, but uh, you can just but leave you really it on. Don't, you really don't cut the plant down. I mean, it's about, uh, oh, 10 inches tall now. No, you really shouldn't cut it. You should just accept okay. the fact that you've had good luck with it. Okay. All right. Thank you for that much information. I'll get busy. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks. Let's head over to Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. He lives in St. Louis Hills. Yeah, uh, Mike, I've got a river birch tree, and the uh, ivy has grown up it. And I, I stripped all the ivy off as far as I could reach, but it, uh, it looks, I thought it would die off, but it doesn't seem to be. Does, should I put Roundup on the bottom of the root? or? Well, as far as, the, the uh, you know, you've taken a section of the, the ivy away, right, from like the ground up to 10 feet? Yeah. The stuff yeah. that's above that right now will stay green for a while, but it can't survive that way. So consequently, it will turn brown and fall, you know, ultimately fall off the trunk. But uh, it could take a couple years for it to fall entirely. But it's not getting any nutrients. It's not getting anything. It's going to get moisture from the rain, but it's not getting nutrients to survive, uh, you know, by holding onto the trunk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought maybe it was getting nutrients out of the tree. No, not at all. Okay. Well, that's good news. Thanks. Sure. And now let's head to West County and go into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Uh, good morning. Uh, I bought some bulk uh, grass seed um, fescue mix uh, last fall and didn't get around to, uh, to doing anything with it. Uh, it's in a paper bag and another uh, container inside my garage. Will that be okay until next fall? No. <laughs> well, I mean, percentage-wise germination, what you can do is just take, let's say, you know, a small, like a shot glass full, if you want to, or not even quite that much, a half a shot glass, bring it inside, and uh, put what you want to do is put it, get a paper towel, wet the paper towel, then pour the grass seed, just sprinkle it in there, and then fold the paper towel over and keep it moist and just watch, you know, every so often to see how much, uh, of its germinating. It should be fine. You know, you're probably going to lose about 25% or so from the fact that it's, you know, overwintered where it was and how it was. But if you waited till fall, you're probably looking at maybe even less than half of it's going to be uh, seed that can germinate. Well, I'll put it down this spring then. <laughs> yeah, but don't do it too early. Wait until uh, the ground really warms up. You, you know, probably don't have a soil thermometer. But what you want to do is probably you're looking at uh, 
oh, late April, early May to put the seed down. Any sooner than that, and it's going to be the ground's going to be too cold, and it's not going to really work well. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, K M S Garden Hotline three one four. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Have questions, concerns, or comments. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Just realize the female deer may be pregnant this time of year, and they get really hungry when they're pregnant. So arborvitae, azaleas, rhododendrons, ash trees... That's a mountain ash, chestnuts, pecans, all kinds of fruit trees, and all kinds of other things can be just devoured damage-wise as far as by the female. The males, too. I mean, they need food, too, but the females need to have extra nutrients this time of year. So just watch your plant material. And now let's head over to Aaron's yard. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Mike. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I had a question. My mom's yard used to have beautiful zoysia grass in it and uh, a pin oak as it got larger and provided more shade it killed out the zoysia well the tree is now cut down and i was wondering if how to go about putting zoysia grass back in there um do i have to like take out the old yard and then put the plugs down or do you just put the plugs in and let it grow um i didn't know what time of year to do it uh you know what what, what time of year would be best to do that well, basically, availability is going to you know, really set the parameters for when you can do it. Uh, you're probably not going to be the – depends upon the weather, but as far as the sod farms and everything else, they're probably looking at mid to late April before they're going to start having zoysia available. Also, when was this tree taken down? Um, within about a month or so ago. Yeah, so realize that the root system, even if the stump has been ground out, is going to stay viable for several more years. So, yes, the shade is very much of a factor, but also the feeder roots of the tree were a very, very limiting factor as far as a zoysia or any other kind of lawn grass, too. So just understand, don't get too anxious about doing too much. Okay. Um, So I should just wait a few years? I mean, the the grass is pretty junk right now. Um, (laughs) Well, you could just get some and, you know, plug it in and see what happens. And uh, Mm -hmm. just, you know, close to the trunk, depending upon how big this was, it could be almost solid wood, right? You know, as I said before, even if the stump's been ground out. But then the perimeters, that's where the majority of the feeder roots are going to be. And they're still going to stay viable. So it's going to go after, you know, the lawn. That's why sod farms don't have any trees. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, so I should just wait and see. And Yeah, I mean, you could a, just, uh, in. if you want to go buy a flat and just stick some in and see what happens, you could do that. But I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time and effort, you know, on anything related to the plugs or pieces of sod or anything along that line immediately. Okay. 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 Great. Thank you very much. Sure, I appreciate that. Thank you. And now let's go over to Jason's yard. Hi, Jason. Hey, how are you? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a question about a jet maple. It's been in the ground for about three or four years, and I want to do some pruning on it. And uh, first question was what time of year is a good time to do that? Uh, With the maples, I prefer pruning in the summer, but uh, the tree services will do them, you know, anytime. You know, as far as I wouldn't do it, uh, you know, necessarily right now. 
because of the cold. But uh, you can really, like I said, summertime's ideal. But if you're going to do it in the, you know, in the springtime, do it before the new leaves emerge. So I'll wait till the summer if you think that's the best. Now, I guess, is it uh, the smaller branches? Can I just snip them with some pruning shears and then a saw to cut off the bigger ones? Right, and uh, make sure you just don't leave any stubs. That's what's most crucial with any kind of pruning on anything. Okay, some of them are interwoven with each other and kind of growing on top of each other, so I'm going to thin that out as well. Do I need to place anything, or what do you recommend putting on the open cuts? No, there's nothing anymore is going to make that much difference. It's strictly cosmetic. Days of old, it had lead in it, and it helped with bacteria and viruses and things like that, but uh, now it's just any of the pruning sealers, they just don't do anything except kind of cover up the wound. Okay, that's fine. And then the last question I had was this year I noticed that I kept my my purple maroon color throughout the year as opposed to the years in the past where it seemed to turn green. The leaves changed to green. Is there a reason why that is, or was that just a unique year? Well, I mean, usually what happens is specific varieties will hold the color, you know, the the darker reddish maroonish color year-round, and other varieties will come out, you know, with it and then lose it as the season goes on. So why, after a couple years, it's it's changed, that's usually something that doesn't happen. Okay, well, this was the least uh, amount of Japanese beetles that I had attacking that tree. So I don't know if maybe that was the reason why it was able to maintain that color. No, that has nothing to do with it. All right, well, good. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Sure, my pleasure. And let's head now over to uh, Dan's yard. Hi, Dan. Hello, Dan. Are you there? Hello, Dan. Nope. And let's go over to Kevin's. Hi, Kevin. No, that's all. Kevin, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you okay. hear me? Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yep. I have a, uh, two questions for you. First question is, um, what is the best uh, mold control that you know of. I have terrible mold problem. <clears throat> and uh, the other question. Oh. oh, go ahead. Well, basically, the molds, the traps, I think, are the best. But people will call in and say mothballs, this, that, and everything else. Uh, the traps are, I mean, Victor Spear or Choker Loop traps. Finding out which tunnels are most active and putting the traps right on that tunnel. That's you know. I mean, some people have called in and said they've got the vibrators, they've got, you know, like I said, mothballs and other things. But uh, what's proven, you know, as far as my knowledge goes, is the traps. Okay. And my second question is, what is a good uh, general fertilizer for, um, for lawns? There is nothing that's just a general fertilizer. If you want to have... Uh, you know, get a soil test done, as I was talking about in the first hour, 25 bucks. Find out what nutrients there are lacking, what nutrients there may be in abundance of, and then sort of get the fertilizer that fits both of those tip, you know, type of circumstances. Using something like triple 12 is definitely something not to do because that's a fertilizer that's been formulated for agricultural one-season type crops. And so okay. you don't want to do that. But uh, you don't necessarily want to have one that's like 29% nitrogen and 5% potassium and 5%, you know, uh, phosphorus or whatever. So by a soil test, I mean, it's just it makes more sense that way. It's kind of like taking medication. 
you can't take medication without knowing what the real circumstance is. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. And as I said, you can go online, University of Missouri Extension Service, and find out exactly, you know, how to take the soil tests and everything else. And I don't know what part of the county you live in or the city, but uh, University of Missouri Extension Service has an office there in Kirkwood down by the train station. You could stop by there or just go online, check out, uh, you know, how and what. I talked about it early in the first hour with the, related to the soil test. But if you have any questions or concerns, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just remember, this is a time of year when all of us are getting excited about planting materials and things like that, whether it's trees, shrubs, perennials, doesn't really matter. But, you know, making sure that you're putting the plant in the best location in your landscape for that particular plant. And sometimes we have plants that we really like, but if our yard is, doesn't have a good location for that particular plant, then its success is going to be somewhat limited. It's, you, there's no getting around it. And it doesn't matter how, kind of, what kind of soil preparation or anything else you've done. If the setting is not good, then the plant material is not going to go good for you. So that's why a lot of you know, plants just uh, you know, kind of disappear. You do everything right or you have a professional service do it, and maybe they're competing with uh, – you know, tree roots, like I was talking about with this gentleman who had the tree, his mother had the tree cut out, but uh, the lawn just got worse and worse and worse. And yes, shade can be a factor with lawns, but also the tree root system is a factor too. So just realize that that is very important. Let's head over to Stanley's yard. Hi, Stanley. Or oh, sorry, Elaine. Hello, Elaine. Are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, go ahead. I have a low spot in my yard. Um, can I, should I just put dirt over it uh, to level it out, or should I dig it up and uh, use it as a as turf? Uh, I mean, put put my soil underneath and then put the uh, the turf on top. Basically, you need to blend it in with the existing soil. So you want to make sure that you are growing. Th- uh, lawn here in this location? Say that again. Are you trying to grow lawn in this location? Yes. Yeah, you've got to, you know, the existing soil, you have to turn that over. And then you have to get a compost topsoil mix and then mix it in with the existing soil to, you know, to get it level. So, in other words, you can't just, you know, fill the hole in with, you know, something and expect it to make a cohesive soil for the plant material to be able to survive well. Okay, so in other words, the the grass that grow is growing there now uh, is uh, I, I can't reuse. For the most part, no. I mean, to try to dig it up as you know pieces of sod or something, and uh, if it's if it has grass growing in it, is uh, why you know is it just because it's a low spot that you want to try to take care of that low spot? Yeah. So I would say, in other words, I'm trying to level out the yard, 
and the the grass that's growing there now is is good grass, but uh, do I can I just dig it up and use that as sod after I fill in the hole? Yeah, you can, but I mean, if you don't dig the sod correctly, then you're not. It's not going to really trans, you know, transplant even if it's coming back to the same location. So, I mean, go to go to your favorite. I don't know if you have a landscape service or you know a lawn service or something like that. But you know, cutting sod out of a low spot is not going to really be easy, and it's probably going to be somewhat expensive, more expensive than just to churn it up and add the other new stuff on top of it, and then buy new pieces of sod. Okay, fine. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So if 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I've talked, uh, talked about before, you know, mulches provide the best winter protection for almost all your flowering perennial plant materials. Not everything needs to have a mulch, but with their perennials, Basically, not too much, not too deep. One to two inches, that's going to be the best thing to do. And uh, you should have put it down in the fall. A lot of times people want to put it in the spring to just try to give it uh, your garden space some, let's say, a new look. But remember, it's really good as far as moisture retention and weed control. But if it's too deep, it could cause some problems for your perennials. And things like daylilies and iris... They'll survive, and peonies, they survive pretty darn well without any kind of mulch. So you don't have to put mulches in all those spaces at all. Pine needles and uh, things like that, if wood chips, sawdust, uh, don't use sawdust for any kind of mulch. It's really more trouble than what it's worth. Uh, heavier materials placed around a plant, you know, tender perennials, it can cause some real trouble. So just realize that. You're going to do more problems than good. We always think that there's certain things that are going to be to the advantage if we do mulch, but mulch is not necessarily going to be the answer to all questions. So we've got some calls coming in, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Hopefully we're going to have some lightning strikes because lightning strikes, when it does strike, it brings nitrogen back out of the air and, you know, sort of like puts nitrogen on your landscape. So when you do fertilize, the nitrogen will stay in the ground for just a few days, and then it becomes heads up into the atmosphere. And until we have lightning strikes, the nitrogen will not come out of the air. Let's head over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a, a hibiscus that's um, it's, it's beautiful. It has, like, tangerine co- flowers mm-hmm. and it's been it's about three years old and it's been loaded with uh, buds flower buds uh, since I brought it in in fact it didn't really bloom a lot this summer it just got it it got its start later in the in the uh, in the summer uh, I've been it, it blooms all, all the time and I've been fertilizing it is that okay oh sure I mean, just don't do, you know, don't, in the wintertime, you want to do about half the rate fertilizer, you know, according to whatever the label is, but don't over, you know, over fertilizing is not going to be to the advantage of the plant material. Sometimes it can force growth that's not going to be healthy growth, but if everything looks healthy and you're doing everything probably pretty well. Okay. Thank you. Well, it's just beautiful. Well, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. 
it's a it's a little bit of summer in the, in the, in the back room. Right. And sometimes, thank you. you know, I sometimes really enjoy your show. Yeah. Well, thank you. Sometimes hibiscus, when we bring them inside, they drop a lot of foliage. But uh, if you're getting all these flowers off of it, you're doing everything just right. Yeah, well, this one didn't drop foliage this really? year. Wow. Last year I had to cut it way back because it did, and I think that's why I didn't get bulbs. Uh, uh, buds right, right away. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. So this year it it drops a leaf every two days or so, but uh, it's still nice and green and that's, shiny. That's great. And as I say, there's usually one or two blooms each day. That's okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Yep. And Take now care. let's head over to Kevin's yard. Hi, Kevin. Hello. How are you? Hi. Mike, I appreciate taking my call today. Uh, I have uh, peonies in my yard, or peonies. I don't know the proper way to pronounce it. Um, and uh, last year I got uh, like a black, you know, the leaves turned black and I didn't get good blooms out of it. I'm guessing that it's some kind of fungus. Um, so I bought, a, you know, a fungicide spray, but it didn't seem to work. Will that die off this winter and, and I'll have a good or is there something I need to do to put in the soil before they start blooming? Basically, what you need to do is when you see the more or less the hands coming up out of the ground, so in other words, that we're going to open up to the you know the leaves, when they're yep. about uh, two or three inches high, you want to spray the fungicide on the leaves right then. Then you want to wait another couple weeks and spray it again. Then you want to wait another couple weeks and spray it again. Three applications <laughs> of, the fun, you know, of the fungicide should take care of the problem. I mean, okay, and... Um, what, what is that just something in the soil or some, what, what would cause that? Well, it can be just, it can be as a result of soil moisture. It could be a result of, you know, whatever kind of mulch you're using, but once it's in the soil, it's going to stay in the soil. That's why you have to watch out. So in other words, okay. it's dropping spores on the ground and that's where the trouble's coming from. I see. Okay. Is that the same with, uh, with fruit trees? Uh, not quite the same, but yeah, basically you want to start, you know, Putting any kind of fungicide when the leaves are about halfway out with the fruit trees, and then another application, and maybe a third application might be needed too. But I mean, there's cedar. There's all kinds of. It's a different type circumstance. Airborne stuff with the fruit trees is going to uh, be somewhat different. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your your show and uh, and you're very helpful and thoughtful. Thank you. Well, great. And Jean, can you do it really kind of quick? Yeah. Uh, I have to take down two uh, crab apple trees, and um, I don't know what to replace them with. My son uh, made a, a large garden in Francis Park of Missouri State plants, and I was wondering if there were some Missouri State trees that I could plant where the crab apples were. Uh, well, I mean, you could put hawthorns in that location if you wanted to. That's, is, that, is that a Missouri State tree? Yeah, I mean, uh, you could just go online and just look at, you know, for the ornamental trees. Dogwoods, you could put dogwoods there. Okay. So, I mean, there is quite a different, you know, if you use the native ones, what happens is a lot of the native stuff takes a longer time before it's going to start setting flower buds and things like that. That's why the hybrids sometimes are better than the natives. But you can, I mean, there's all sorts of native trees that, I don't know what size you want or anything else, but, I mean, probably if I was going to pick one myself, I'd look at the service berry. Service? 
Right, S-E-R-V-I-C-E, berry. And it okay. has a red red fruit, white flowers, and nice fall color both. Is it a slow-growing tree or fast? Pretty slow-growing, yes. Is it? Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. Thanks, Gene. And thanks to everybody for calling in. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.